Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amrit Alawalia is joined by Mark Milleron, the President of National University. Mark gives his take on the debate around mega universities and reflects on how his background in nonprofits and the corporate world influenced his outlook on the industry. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the Illumination podcast. Glad to be back in the mix. Well, it's it's you know it's it's fun that you say that because we um, we were just chatting in the pre-interview. Mark, uh, when he was at Civitas, uh, must have been about ten years ago when we were launching the Evolution, sort of changed our mindset around how we how we publish interviews and how we tend to uh how we focus on readability so just you know on the record thanks once again for, for your <laughs> feedback um you've had a pretty interesting career and and in the last uh month you started as president and ceo at national university in san diego why did national university stand out as sort of an ideal next role for you yeah uh, what was interesting about this, Emery, is I, I was not looking for a job at all. I was loving what I was doing at Western Governors University. I, and I was one of the early trustees at Western Governors. I remember when we had 500 students and we were doing a jig and we hit 1,000. <laughs> so, and, and, um, and I was running the School of Education, which includes the largest teacher's college in the country and you know one of the largest general education colleges in the country. Um, and just had a phenomenal team was doing really good work. So I'm not interested in going anywhere. And but when they called about national, I was intrigued. And part of the reason I was intrigued is because national has, as uh, I would almost call them a sister university to the players like UM, UMGC, folks like, you know, at SNU, folks like WGU. Um, and national has been at this for 50 years. It was founded by um a Navy captain who came out and really uh, wanted to change the way adult learners were treated in the world of higher education and, and, and focused on creating things like short courses, you know, one course per month, for, especially for folks who were deployed, who needed more flexibility. Uh, the one-to-one -one model you know, later came in, personalized learning. But uh, the whole idea was to innovate with the model and the technologies of the day to try to help you know, striving students succeed which as you can imagine, speaks to me in a really big way. And National has been at it for a long time. And they um, they are just poised, I think, to kind of go to the next level in terms of the work that they're doing, both in California and around the country. Um, so I, I've been watching them for the last decade in particular, as they've leaned into you know Michael Cunningham and David Andrews and a whole bunch of folks really done some really interesting work. Um, so when, when they came calling, I had to take a deep breath and take a look. And then when I met with the board, I was just blown away by their commitment. Um, and then I really dove into the, you know, kind of work that they've pulled together around their kind of go going forward mission and vision and ways of working and just how committed they were to whole human education. Oh my gosh, that just spoke to me. The whole idea of, and you know, the work I've done with Sarah Golder Grab and others around this whole idea of like helping, you know, students and uh, with their psychosocial and their kind of life and logistics issues. It just everything hit in the conversations, and so I was uh, I was hooked and started the dialogues with them, and uh, and so yeah, I'm officially on board now as their president and CEO, and I have been I think I told the board chair this the other day, 
I'm more excited now than I was when I signed the contract, which is um, kind of exciting because the more I learn, it's not as been shoe has dropped. Like everything I've learned more. Yeah, of course, there's challenges and opportunities, but every day I'm meeting more people who are just deeply dedicated to helping more and more diverse people be more successful on learning um, education pathways. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you mentioned a few of, I guess, the cohort of institutions that, that nationals kind of, uh, I guess, in, in the market with, you know, yeah, the access Southern to Hampshire. success troublemakers, right? <laughs> well, that that's, it's, it's interesting. Cause if you look at like, what's the unifying thread between those institutions, yeah. you look at ASU, Western governors, Southern New Hampshire, um, it, even UMass global now, it's all about that focus on, on serving the adult learner. And I, I'm curious as, as you see the market evolving, I mean, how, how does the growth of these mega universities speak to the changing landscape that higher ed institutions have to operate in? Like, do, you know, what, what are some of the changes that you've seen since, since coming in, uh, I guess, 1995 is when you joined the league? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, and, and I, the term mega universities always bothers me because I don't think it's about size. I really think it's it, scale matters, there's no doubt, in terms of the impact you're trying to get. Um, and part of that's because, you know, scale, but because impact without scale is kind of a false promise and scale without impact is a scam, right? So the idea is you, if you can get scale and impact, you're really doing something special. And, and part of the reason you want that is there are millions of striving students for whom the traditional model of education might not fit. Now, and, mm-hmm. and let me be, be clear about this. There are, there are millions and millions of 18 to 22 year olds who want an on-campus experience for whom traditional models make all the sense in the world. But for a whole host of students, and I would argue the majority of students in higher education, they need something more flexible. They need something that's gonna work with people with complicated lives, first-generation backgrounds, people who are working while they're going to school, people who are returning adults who are changing careers. Different kinds of models work for those students. And part of what we need to say is, in our education ecosystems, there needs to be room for different kinds of models. I love independent schools, K-12. I love community colleges, state universities, or amazing. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for state universities. Big Research One universities, again, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for one of them. But I also think there's a place for these, these access and success innovators like National, ASU, Western Governors, people who are designing the model of education based around the needs of specific kinds of students and they're helping them get on and succeed on pathways into higher education and to use all the tools and technologies at their disposal to do it. And and I think what's neat about it is we can all learn from each other about how to do this. This is not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. If there's 35 million students out there with some college and no credential, fine, we'll take 1%. They could all have the rest, right? This is a zero, this is, this is a plus sum game. Like we mm-hmm. all have a ton of work to do. And I think that's what's pretty exciting about this time is there are a lot of faculty, really talented faculty and staff who just want, they, this work speaks to them. This really is mission work. And for those folks, like this is exciting. And they, when you come to our commencements and you see the, the just the oh, diverse array of our students um, that, that walk, walk across that commencement stage, you just get blown away by it. So I know long answer to your question, but, but I think that's where it comes in. I, th- I think it really is about um, a different form of education for a different set of students. And I, it's not, you know, it's not saying we're better than any others. I just think the ecosystem is better with innovators like National. I totally agree. You know, that's it's one thing that 
strikes me about when we talk about innovation, when we talk about different kinds of institutional models and things of that nature, is that there's this, I think what people hear is a comparison, but what what actually is happening is just more alternatives for folks that aren't served by the traditional model. Like that's not an indictment of the traditional model. I, I certainly have benefited from the traditional model. I think most people in the post-secondary space have as well. Um, it's more an opportunity to say, how can we create pathways for folks that we're not serving today? How can we create pathways for folks that clearly weren't adequately served by, by the traditional model? And how can we create pathways for, for people? And that's, I, I think like it's such a critical part of, of why I think these these institutions have, have really exploded over the last 10 years is that broadly speaking, folks have realized that education doesn't have to be one size fits all. And it's it's kind right. of fun watching the space evolve to that to that standard. It's great to be in the, you know, in the family of uh, people who are willing to ask hard questions and try new <laughs> models, you know, in the community college world, it's people like Karen Stout in the more, you know, kind of R1 world, it's going to be people like Mark Becker and, and um, Michael Crow. If, and and in, in the space for, for folks who are private, like National University, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be folks like Scott Pulsifer and, you know, and, and, and I just think in general, it's being a part of a community of practice that is willing to try things and share things. This is working, this isn't working. Let's figure out how we can kind of come together and, and really scale strategies that work for different kinds of students. Because let me tell you what, students are hungry and they, they are in need of good players who are not trying to exploit them, who are absolutely trying to meet them where they are, right? To wrap the right kind of support around them. And by the way, I'm re- for a bunch of students, it's not about they need specific supports. It actually needs, we need to get out of their way. They're yeah. rock stars and they yes. want to go quick. And so like for national, we, again, our whole human education idea is, is not about everybody gets a ton of like wraparound support. It's you get the right supports. So this student might just need to be able to be accelerate and get rolling. And this student needs the right kind of scaffold to help them get there. And, and that's, you know, that's where it gets fun because you can figure out how you get away from one size fits all. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question that might lead you maybe too far into the weeds. So if that's the case, let me know. But one of the things I've always been curious about, and it's actually it's interesting. I think I was talking with one of you know your your predecessor about this idea, is the concept of package based pricing. Like, how do we get to a point in the higher ed space where people are paying for the services they actually need? as opposed to having a single sticker price with the expectation that they'll use everything. So we think about the traditional the tuition and fee model. It's very much based around like, here's a flat fee, every student's gonna pay for every service the campus offers, but that's not necessarily what each learner needs. But by the same token, we wanna make sure those services are accessible. I think you're already seeing that, right? So if, if a learner wants the campus-based experience with all the wraparounds and the climbing walls and residence halls, they're going to a private university um, that's on, you know, you know, they're going to USC or they're going to UC, you know, San Diego, whatever it's going to be. Um, if, however, they want something that is totally focused on the adult learner and is, is their technology and the people are all aligned around trying to help them um, get on that pathway to possibility quickly, they're going to a place like national, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, so part of that, you know, works because there are different players in the ecosystem. And I think that's kind of beautiful. People kind of get what they want when they need it and you know, how they need it. I'll give you a good example. My uh, my executive assistant is this amazing woman, Dee Carver, who got her undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill. 
right? And she loved every bit about that experience. 18 and 22 years, two years old, living on that campus, having just a great experience. However, when she got was older and had kids, but wanted to continue her education, she lived in rural Western North Carolina, and there wasn't a university that worked for her at all. Hmm. And she ended up going to one of the nonprofit innovators like National University, and it was perfect for her. And for, that's it. She'll tell you one was great for that age and stage. The other one was perfect for that age and stage. That's, you know, those are the kind of stories I'm talking about. Is this the realization that um, we're better together? Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about your your professional background because your LinkedIn makes for fascinating readings. <laughs> um, just going in order, uh, League for Innovation at the Community College, Oracle, Back to the League, SAS, Western Governors, Bill and the Melinda Gates Foundation, WGU Texas, uh, Catalyze Learning, Back to WGU, Society for College and University Planning, Near Peer Incorporated. Uh, those, are all also, board, those are all board You're on a few board, 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 board roles. You were the co-founder of Civitas. Uh, you were the uh, you went to Bennett College as vice chair of board, uh, and now you're the president CEO of National, National University. There is a diversity there that I don't think I've ever seen in someone's professional background with that mixture of executive post-secondary roles, nonprofit experience, uh, corporate experience. How does that background sort of influence your perspective on the industry? And, and how have you navigated all of those different spaces where most folks tend to stick to, you know, I guess, one aspect of, of, the, of the ecosystem? I think a few things. One is there's a red thread that goes through all that. Um, and in every seat I, I've been able, I've been blessed to be able to sit in, in all of those, uh, those places. Um, every bit of the work has been about trying to help more and more diverse students be more successful in their education pathways, every single bit. And what's been neat about it is I've been able to go into those different environments and learn about what's possible with those tools, those technologies, that foundation strategy, that policy, that innovation strategy, that new learning model. And as you start putting those pieces together, you realize if you're going to make a difference in education, you have to understand policy. You have to understand learning models. You have to understand technology. You have to understand data. You have to, under I mean, there's all these things you have to understand. And what's been wonderful for me is I've been able to work with just an unbelievable array of people from whom I've learned a ton. So in every, every, every one of the roles I've been a part of, one of the biggest things I've done is just really work to try to harvest as much information and learn and be open to it, really kind of walk in. With, uh, with a beginner's mind and really try to make sure you're thinking, okay, how can I leverage this to be able to apply it in the world of education most effectively? Um, and what's, what's I think great about that is it also allows you, if you ever read the book Range by David Epstein, wonderful book and, and really makes the case for liberal arts. And, mm -hmm. and what he basically says is this myth of the 10,000 hour rule and early specialization is nonsense. The people who make the biggest impact are the folks who learn broadly and then can use um, analogy-based thinking to be able to solve complex problems. That's exactly what kind of my career has been, has been yeah. trying to learn from lots of different sectors and then figure out how you pull all those resources together, um, which has been indispensable in trying to solve some of the biggest problems. Because let me tell you what, if you can't figure out technology, policy, finance, and learning model together, you're not going to make a difference in the world of education. And then, you know, the and the really powerful part of this, Emre, is that in the end, You've got a whole cadre of people you can call so that when you actually have some deep questions and you're stumped, 
you know, if, if I have a deep question and I'm stumped on the on the philanthropic side, I'm going to call Patrick Methvin at the Gates Foundation. Mm-hmm. If I'm really stumped on the data side, I'm calling our former chief data scientist from Civitas, David Kill. He's absolutely amazing. If I'm really stumped on the technology song, calling John O'Brien over at Educost. You just end up with this network of people that you want to call and be able to pull in. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing. like even this weekend, I'm talking with Suzanne Walsh, who's the um, president of Bennett College. And just her thinking around algorithmic justice and how you use social justice and with our data just completely blows your mind. It really makes you think we're thinking about how that extends to AR and VR. Those people from those different kinds of backgrounds become indispensable. So, again, there was a method of the madness and part of it had to do with trying to learn from lots of different sectors to help you get smarter in solving these problems. Because let's be blunt about it. There are a lot of students who need us and and having the right kind of resources to be able to make that difference really matters. You know, one thing I'm curious about, just because we've seen it come up over and over again in in the news as it relates to sort of higher ed, uh, presidential hiring, um, we've seen a, a lot of critique um, in foot when, when presidents get hired from the private sector. Um, now, I I don't think you necessarily fall just given that the range of experience, like, you know, I don't, I don't know that anyone would, would look at your hiring and say like, ah, it's higher ed gone mad, but you know, <laughs> where I've been a faculty member and a, <laughs> <laughs> like, a some experience, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just, there. you know, I'm curious, where does, where does the business mindset have to stop? when you're at the helm of a post-secondary yeah, it's institution. Not a business, like, I, you know, it's not a business mindset. I had a, you know, a wonderful trustee during my hiring process who asked me the question about like, you know, you know, what's your feeling about, you know, the importance of running a university like a business? And my response was, you don't run a university like a business because the purpose of a business is to optimize profit for shareholders and, and for owners. Mm-hmm. I go, the, that is not the purpose of the university. The university is about trying to help more and more diverse students learn well and finish strong in their journeys and successfully navigate their lives as a result. Now, do you have to be incredibly good at using your money? Absolutely. You have to have a sustainability strategy that is next level to be able to invest in the right resources, to be able to scale effectively. I mean, it's um, people who are really good. Some of the most successful presidents I've ever seen in my life are the ones who can move money in a way that actually makes that learning model possible, that actually lets people have access to data in the way they wouldn't have data for. And it's just sustainability strategy is an important thing. But that does not mean you run the university like a business. What that means is you you really take sustainability seriously and you understand how to use resources. Now, it is equally as important that you understand learning theory. It's equally as important that you understand learning models. It's equally as important that there's just a family of things you want to pull together. And that's what I care about is, is this person curious? Have they learned? And are they willing to ask questions and bring the right resources to help meet the mission of that? institution, right? So if our institution is totally focused on affordable access to higher education for striving students who want to make a difference in their communities, that's national, right? We need, we absolutely need to make sure our, our resources work in that. And so we're, we're rated A plus by Forbes. National has been really smart about using its resources around this, but at the same time, it's been one of the chief innovators out there in using different kinds of resources and learning models to be able to kind of meet that need. So, so for me, 
the the question isn't about like business models, right? It's it's about whether or not you're using all the resources effectively to be able to meet the meet the mark. And just you know, just to give you a, a, a non-related example, the range thinking we were just talking about. <laughs> Same thing about technology. Like people, I have been around this business. My earliest days in the world of, of education was trying to convince faculty and administrators that it was going to be okay for them to use email. I kid you not. That was like the earliest discussions in the early 1990s. And then it was like helping people like the internet's a thing. Like we're actually going to be using this internet thing back in 95, 96. But even back then, it was this hyperbolic notion that technology will fix education. Technology and the simplistic notion that technology will improve education. And even back then, I said, that's nonsense. I don't believe it for a minute. I think the effective use of technology and the effective application of technology grounded with purpose can absolutely make a difference, but it is not technology that fixes it. It's the effective use. Same way I feel about data, same way I feel about finance, right? It's can you put it on purpose to help the education purpose? Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. You know, it's, it's interesting too, right? Because that's possibly the most nuanced perspective I've gotten on that subject. Um, cause it, it's like, there's business best practice that can be applied for the purpose of sustainability yep. and resource maximization in the post-secondary context. It's not about generating a profit, but it is about maximizing resource use and, and resource opportunity. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I usually have a pretty quick follow-up question, but I've just been thinking about that for the last like, three minutes. So <laughs> forgive me there. I, I will ask you, you know, you're one of the, I'd say you're, you're an influential guy in higher ed circles. So as you look at the post-secondary landscape as it is today, as you draw on sort of this, this range of experience perspective, what are some of the trends that you're watching that other higher ed leaders should be keeping an eye on? So I think right now, um, I think that people's eyes are pretty wide open post-pandemic to the idea that um, psychosocial dynamics really matter for our students. Their sense of belonging and their sense mm -hmm. of, of connection are a big is a big deal, especially for first generation and low income students. Um, secondly, I think people have really opened their eyes in the last decade to the notion that it's not all about academics. It's really about life and logistics. If students, if students are hungry, it's really tough for them to study. If people are housing insecure and they don't feel safe, it's really tough for them to be successful in higher ed. And I do think the life and logistics piece has really kind of come in to the point where people are looking at, po at policy and real structural strategy to help with that. And then you kind of get into the, you know, the learning models. I think the notion of um, really challenging grades, like why are we using grades that we're using it? If we should be really focusing on learning more directly. Um, and then I'm a big believer. I do think AR and VR are going to be next level tools for us in the world of education, augmented reality and virtual reality. I feel the conversations we're having today feel exactly like the conversations we were having about the internet in 1995, where people thought, oh, that's kind of a trendy thing. Only so many people are going to be using I actually think AR and VR are going to be ubiquitous in the world of higher education. And I think we've got to get our heads around their applications with our programs, their applications with our services, their applications with our campuses and access strategies. And I think over the course of the next 10 years, we're going to learn a lot. 20 plus universities opened up metaverse campuses this mm -hmm. fall, right? So I think we're, we're at the very, or very early stages of our, and, and our, our board of trustees is going to spend an entire, you know, uh, retreat um, at the end of October talking about some of these strategies and what we're going to be thinking about in the road ahead. 
this I think is going to be important for us again, but to put it on purpose, you know, so we, what happens usually people get all excited about the technology and then a couple of years later they go, oh, we should really focus on learning. And then a couple of years later they go, oh, we should really be looking at the DEI impact of this. Can we do it from the very beginning? Can we start putting AR and VR on purpose around learning with a, with a you know a DEI perspective from jump, um, which will allow us to actually make the difference we want to make with it? And I think it's I'm pretty excited by the potential of it. Well, that's fair. Well, Mark, I, I've taken up uh, just about right the exact amount of time that I promised to. So I'll ask you in closing, and it's something that uh, we tend to end our interviews with. Um, as folks are traveling more and more, uh, obviously you're at this point by coastal, but I'll ask you for San Diego, what is your favorite place to go to dinner? Well, there's a lot, so many good places in San Diego. San Diego's so, awesome. uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the, one of my favorites those is Jake's at Del Mar, which is right on the beach. Unbelievable sunsets, great key lime pie. You got to go, go check Ooh. it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Done. Thank you so much for your time, man. It's always fun chatting with you. I really appreciate you. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.